At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of John. The book of John. Uh, we're going to begin uh, this morning in chapter 16, in beginning in verse 16. So John 16, 16 is where we're starting today, this morning. And you know, as, as I get older, I become more keenly aware of the suffering and sorrow that is all around us. It seems like the older I get, the, the more pain and suffering that we see, not only individuals going through, but we see like the world going through. And the more we see the, the consequences of the fall take more deeper and wider impacts on our world, we can see that the world responds to difficulties. The world responds to sorrow in one of three ways. One way is to just ignore it. Ignore that, it, that sorrow is out there, ignoring that suffering exists and you try to, instead of living a life that has eyes to see, the eyes turn inward and you become isolated and you become your, a life unto yourself to say none of that stuff really exists or, or, or I just can't, don't have the capacity to deal with suffering and sorrow. And so they try to ignore it. Some respond to the ever-increasing sorrow and suffering in the world by determining that they're going to make a difference in it, that they're going to create change and they're going to be the ones that controls the suffering. And so by their power, by their might, they step in and they say, okay, I'm going to fix it. But then there are those that see suffering in the world have an understanding that they're powerless to make a difference, but instead of being isolated, their eyes turn to the Savior. And they say, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. I want us today to see as we, we take a look at this, and I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. You probably you're in one of three places this morning. Either you're right now walking through deep, deep sorrow in your life, or you've just come out of walking in deep, deep sorrow in your life. Or the third position is that you're getting ready to go into a time of sorrow and suffering. So wherever you're at today, I want us to, to, to walk through this passage today. As this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. How do we, as followers of Christ, walk through seasons of suffering? And I want us to see of the three approaches that I talked about, first of all, ignoring it, bringing about change, or turning to Jesus, the third approach is the best one. The third approach is the one in which the Bible calls us to walk in. The Bible doesn't call us to pull up our own bootstraps and try to take head on the challenges of the world. No, the Bible calls us to surrender our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, use me as you seek to encounter and bring about change in the sorrow and suffering that we see in the world. So as we look at the passage today, we are continuing our series uh, entitled Trail Guide, as we look at Jesus has been giving his disciples the opportunity to give some instructions of how they're supposed to navigate life without him being with them. And over the last nine weeks, we've taken a look at chapters 13 to 16 of John. 
And we've looked at the importance of Jesus' words as he's getting ready to go to the cross. What's amazing to me as we look at the book of John is we look at chapters 1 through 12 and we see that they cover Jesus' birth through his three years of public ministry. So we've got 33 some years from chapter 1 to chapter 12 of Jesus' life. And so it's like this pullback, uh, 30,000 foot view of Jesus' life in 12 chapters. Then we go from chapter 13 to 16, which are four chapters that take place in only a couple of hours. And so what we see here is time drastically slows down. It's almost as though Jesus slams on the brakes and the train has been going a million miles an hour and he just slams on the brake and he says, whoa. And just moment by moment we hear the words of Jesus that come deep and come as encouragement. As time is slowing down, Jesus knows his time to go to the cross is coming and his teaching gets expanded. So it's like we take this short amount of time and we magnify it so that we can learn more about Jesus wants us to know. And then if we look at even chapters 13 to 19, that takes place in less than 20 hours. So again, we see time slowing down. So what we've covered in this series so far is time is slowing down. Jesus is giving his last words before uh, leaving his disciples. It begins in the upper room where they celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He takes the, the position of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. Then he goes on and he, predict, he predicts the betrayal and the denial, the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. And then Jesus tells his disciples he's going away. And where they're going, he can't follow. And then they're perplexed and they're in a place of shock and they're in a place of what's going on that Jesus finishes the meal and then they head out. Jesus on his, is on his way to the garden to pray before he gets betrayed and handed over. And on the way, Jesus, every single step of the way is being intentional as he takes one more step to the garden and another step to the garden. He teaches, I have to imagine he comes across a vine and branches and he says, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit for I am the vine and you are the branches and you are designed to bear much fruit. Jesus is an object lesson teacher, so I, I have to even imagine he's got them in his hands and he's saying, see here. And he says, the key to this is that you, I'm going to go away, but you must abide in me. And when you do, you will bear much fruit. And then he gives the disciples two fruit that are going to be produced. He's, he says that when you're abiding in me, you're going to have love for each other. Your love for each other is going to grow and it's going to deepen. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And then he says, as you abide in me, guess what's going to happen? The world is going to hate you. The world's going to turn on you. Your brothers are going to love you and you're going to love your brothers, but the world is going to turn on you. You're going to walk through seasons of pain. You're going to walk through persecution. And then Jesus says, but I've given you the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to convict, and to do the work. And so he's, he's talking about all of this. And so in just a few hours, the disciples' world has been turned upside down. And what's amazing here is Jesus makes no attempt to ignore their pain. Jesus makes no attempt to, to downplay their worry, their fear, their anxiousness, the suffering that they're now internalizing. It may even be that there were some disciples that are in full-on panic attack mode. 
as their world has just been flipped upside down, the, the, the life of peace that they thought that they were moving towards now is completely different. They may feel attacked. They may feel abandoned. They may feel disappointed or discouraged and sad. And they've been following Jesus for all of these years. And so now they know that he's leaving. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't allow yourself to be full of sorrow. Today we see that Jesus continues in this encouragement. And he talks about sorrow. And he's going to talk about joy And how they can coexist at the same time in the life of a believer. This is an amazing thing. You see, the world has no category for this. But the follower of Jesus Christ is able to walk through and and hold in tension deep sorrow and exceeding joy. And Jesus is going to say, as we look at this passage, the big idea for today is that the way of Jesus leads us to full joy or the fullness of joy. It's amazing to me to see how to, in order to get to joy, you have to go through sorrow. This has always been the way for Jesus. It's been always through the way. If you even go back to the Old Testament and we see God stepping in in Israel's history and allowing them to be ex- experience freedom from slavery, from the sins of the Egyptians, he doesn't go immediately to joy, but goes through suffering. Right? There were 10 plagues that the Lord brought upon the world or brought upon Egypt. And some of those plagues, the followers of God walked through. And so they experienced sorrow from their slavery. They experienced some of the plagues. And then through following God, they experienced joy. It's the way it always is with the Lord. So this morning, as we walk through these verses together, I want us to see how Sorrow, suffering, and joy are mingled together in a way that leads us to a deeper understanding of what God is doing for us and leads us to walk faithfully as we wait to the moment or the time where all we will experience is joy. So first, the first truth I want us to see is that we're called to follow Jesus in perplexing sorrow. We're called to follow Jesus in perplexing sorrow. Let's begin in verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while you will see me and again a little while, or a little while you will not see me and again in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father? So they were asking, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will see me, not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. In verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, in a little while you won't see me, and then in a little while you will see me. It, it's amazing to me when, when we understand where the disciples are at. Right? They're in a place where they're completely anxious. Like The weight of the world is all around them. Everything that they had put their hopes and dreams in is crumbling before them is what it feels like. Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever walked through a season where you're like, I have no idea what's going on. 
where you feel like the rug has just been flipped under, from underneath you and you're in a place like you're on your way to crash to the ground and you're like, I'm going to break a hip, I'm going to get a concussion. You know those things are coming or you're on the ground after all of those things have happened and you're like, what in the world is, what just happened? Have you ever been there? It's where the disciples are at right now. The world has come upside down. And one of the things that I've learned in time is that we walk through seasons of deep anxiousness, we become acutely aware of time, right? We become acutely aware of time because we want to know how long is this going to last? When is this going to be over? When can I go back to my normal life? Isn't that what we want to know about? Like we, we care about time. How, much, how long do I have to endure this? And Jesus gives them an answer of time that is perplexing to them. He comes to them and he says, in a little while, I won't see you. You won't see me. But then in a little while, you will. And you have to imagine that they're like, okay, I need some timestamps on these things. How long is a little while? Right? Is, is a little while 10 minutes? Is a little while 40 years? Is a little while a millennium? I don't know because we know, God, God you are a God of time and, and your time transcends everything that we understand. And so they're deeply perplexed. And what I think is interesting about this is that Jesus is right there with them. Jesus is right there with them. And their first response is not to go to Jesus with their questions, but they turn internally. Oh, how often do we do that? Like as we learned last week, we have the spirit, we have the word, we have the full power and presence of God living within us. And when we go through difficult times, our first response many times is not to turn to the Lord, but it's to turn to others. And Jesus being the amazing servant that he is, the amazing teacher that he is, he knows what's going on. As they're taking those steps towards the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, they're mumbling behind themselves. And I have to believe Jesus just says, okay, guys, I hear. I hear the questions that you're asking. A little while and a little while and a little while. I know that's perplexing. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus does not settle them. Jesus does not immediately say, okay, here we go. We're, we're out of this. No, he says, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I'm, I'm going away and I'm coming back. And we know this because we, we live on this side of the cross. We know that what Jesus is talking about in the immediate context is that he's going away for them immediately because he's got to go to the cross. And then he's got to go to the grave. In order to accomplish the work of our salvation, that he needs to do all those things, and then he's going to come back to life, and then he says, I, and then you will see me again. So he's talking about a short period of time. In a little while, I'm going away, I'm going to the cross, but then in a little while, after the work of atonement and after the work of sacrifice is done, I'm coming back. And they didn't really understand that. But then Jesus tells them with their questions, the world will rejoice. You're going to lament. You're going to go into a deep time of sorrow because I'm gone, is what he's saying. But the world is going to rejoice. And why is the world going to rejoice? Because that world will believe that the truth has been silenced. The world believes that the light that has been shedding conviction on their sin, that that light has been diminished. And so they will rejoice. The world will say, we've won. We've killed the Christ. 
We've killed the Messiah, the only one, the only one that could save people from their sins. He is gone and he is dead. And so, yay, we get to rejoice. We can live in our ignorance. We can live in our sin. And no one's going to tell us we're bad. No one's going to tell us that we're doing wrong. And so the world's going to rejoice. And what that's going to do to those that follow Jesus is going to cause them to deeply lament. Because they know that true joy is found in walking in the light. So I want us to talk just for a moment of walking through times of sorrow. I, I love the experience of going into a hot tub, going to a hot tub that's outside in the middle of winter. Follow with, follow with me here, okay? Like you go from a place of comfort and then you go outside into the freezing cold, you got your bathing suit on, and then you take your robe off or whatever you do, and you get ready to step in the hot tub. And as you step into the hot tub, stepping into the hot tub is not pleasing. Anyone feel pleasing when you step? No, it's jarring. Everything in your system goes haywire, right? You're stepping into it, and it's like, oh, it's so hot. It's like, oh, ah, oh, ah. And you sit in, and it's uncomfortable, Right? And there's something inside of you that says, this is not comfortable, so I want to get out. But then you know, you know, if you fully immerse yourself in the water, what's going to come is that jarringness is going to go away. And what, what comes as a result of that? Comfort. Right? Like, you could be in the middle of a blizzard where it's negative 20 degrees and wind is going and you're sitting in a 105 degree hot tub and you don't even care. You following me? Imagine that is what like suffering is like. Right, everything in us, when we start to walk down that road of suffering says get out, leave, get away. But what if there's purpose in suffering? What if there's something in suffering that we can only experience when we're walking through seasons of suffering? What if we can experience deep, abiding comfort? I'm not talking about joy. Not, that's coming. But I'm talking about comfort. Oh, I love this. And, and I love how the word of God promises us that when we walk through seasons of suffering, comfort's right there. I'm going to give you just a few verses. Jesus says specifically in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then in Psalm 147, verse 3, it says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble. Go, going on into Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, believer, the purpose of suffering is that God wants to comfort you. God wants to comfort you. He wants you to feel his deep abiding love and his power and his comfort and his love. And it's only going to come through suffering, through seasons of difficulty. And though so many times walking through the seasons uh, we're challenged with anxieties and, and fear and all of that, 
No, if God is sovereign, which he is, then God will never put you in a place that he doesn't want you to be. We live in a wicked and depraved world. We live in a world that is full of darkness and full of pain. But yet God promises us in that pain, in that darkness, he will be with us. So if you're right now in that season of suffering, know that you're not alone. You are not alone. You're in the right place, even even if you brought this suffering on yourself. Even if you've been disobedient, even if you've walked outside of the light and now you're living in the consequences of that, know that God is still with you. That if you are in Christ, he is with you. He is for you. He is helping you. And we must let him comfort us. You see, this goes against the grain of many ways in which we've been brought up in our Christian culture. I, I was brought up in, in the, the fact of, of at all Christians are be able to experience exceeding joy at all times. And so we're always supposed to have a smile on our face. Right, when we come into faith, uh, we are taught that everything is gonna be good, everything's gonna be great, everything's gonna be grand, and there won't have any difficulties or any problems. And if you've believed that gospel, that gospel is a lie. That's not the gospel of the word of God. But instead, what we do as we see people walking through difficulties and challenges, sometimes the church, instead of being comforted in their afflictions, People are made to feel guilty. We do a good job of making people feel guilty that their lives are not full of joy. You follow me? Have you ever felt that way? Like, I can't go to church because right now I can barely lift my head. I can't go to church. If I go to church, they'll see that I don't have it all together because you got you to have it together when you come here. No, that's a lie. This is a hospital. This is a hospital. This is a gymnasium. This is a place where we work out our faith. This is where we come together to help each other. So if you're here and you're like, man, I I barely made it here to church today. You have no idea the burdens that I carry. You're in the right place. Don't, Don't be fake about it. Because we see here, that we're called to go through perplexing moments and the, the perplexing moments are there to remind us of our need of him and there's pain and purpose in our suffering because through our suffering, we're able to experience joy. But before we can get to the joy, we've got to experience the suffering. So let's go on to the joy. The second truth in this passage today is that we're called to follow Jesus in abundant joy. Jesus says in the second part of verse 20, he says, you will be sorrowful But your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus gives them this promise. You will feel sorrow. You will feel deep pain, but hold on because joy is coming. True joy, a joy that will happen, that will rest in your heart, that will never ever be able to be taken away again. Because Jesus says, you're going, I'm going away, sorrow is going to come, but when you see me again, 
when you see that I've resurrected from the dead and I've accomplished the work that I've came to do, then you will experience joy. And this joy, no one will ever be able to take away. And I love the example that Jesus gives here. For you moms, you take this to heart because you know. For us dads that were in the room, we take it to heart in a different way. Screaming, pain, pain, pain. That's all I got to say. I've, I've seen it. It's a painful thing to watch. It's a, a horrendous thing to walk through, especially as a man, because I don't feel it. I can see it and I feel bad, but I also don't want to step in her place. <laughs> Follow me? <laughs> Any man, you're like, yeah, sign me up. No, we don't do that. Right, but moms, honestly, moms, how many of you here today remember the pain? How, how many of you now, you're like, eh, it was pain, but you look at your children and all you see is joy. All you see is joy. You don't look at your kid, like I, I love how the prayer of Jabez says, my mother called me Jabez because I brought about pain. Right, that's why his, his name means pain in, in First Chronicles. His mom, like, so his name was a constant reminder from his mom that he brought about pain in her life. But that's not how we, we you don't name your children pain. Right, moms? No, you know you went through that. You're like, yeah, it hurt. But you look at your children and as you watch them grow, all you have is joy for them. All you have is love for them. And it comes from a place that came through pain. They got here through, I don't, I mean, even the whole pregnancy thing, that's a terrible thing. Like the, the way that a woman's body is transformed is scary. But it's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing because out of all of that comes a child. Amen. And I remember holding my children in my hands and having nothing but love for them. But it came through pain. And this, this is what Jesus chooses to illustrate our pain. When we get through it, we don't, we don't think about the pain, but we think about the joy that is to come. And this even points us to what the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 12, that, that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Right, the cross is the most beautiful place where both joy and sorrow mingle together. It is the ultimate expression of joy and pain. Because there is deep, deep pain as Jesus is suffering on the cross, in his humanity suffering in his, on the cross. But in his divinity also suffering on the cross because of the wrath of God that he endured. Because of the, the distance he felt from God for a while will be overwhelming for any of us to experience. But he did it for the joy that was set before him. He knew that on the other side of the cross that everything would be okay. That not only would, would his, his pain bring about um, the, the end to death, but his pain that he endured would bring about an abundant life to anyone who would believe. And so it was worth it. So joy and pain sitting together in a way that doesn't make sense to us, but joy will come. Joy will come. So my encouragement to you is if you're walking through sorrow today, Sit in it. Sit in the sorrow. It's okay. Like get down in that hot tub and just sit for a few moments. And then seek the Lord's comfort. 
Allow him to comfort you. How does the Lord comfort you? He's going to comfort you through other believers. He's going to comfort you through his word. Read his word. Like, do the work. Like, you're not sitting in the hot tub, legs sprayed out, arms out, just to, doing nothing. No, you're there to be comforted, but we do the work of spending time in the word of God, allowing him to comfort us. He, he's not going to comfort you if you're binging Netflix. The comfort's not going to, that's, that's escapism. Right? If we, we seek to put anything in that place that seeks to, to care for the void, alcohol, uh, other types of drugs or other relationships, if we're trying to take that void and fill it with other things, we're going to be messed up. But instead, while we're in the midst of that, we should seek the Lord and allow him. So, so sit in it. Sit in it and then know that joy will come. Joy's going to come and you're going to experience great joy. But then... How do we make it through? How do do we make it through? In the tension of sorrow and joy, we see that we're to follow Jesus in confident boldness. For he goes on in verse 23 and says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full let me just pull this all together for you right the beautiful thing that he's given us is the gift of prayer because the work of Christ what he's done is he's now opened the doorway for the God of the universe to hear our cries and we because our faith is in Jesus we ask in his name because Jesus has done the work and we pray we pray big you see We enter into a season of sorrow and suffering. Our first response should be to reorient our minds and be reminded that God wants to comfort us, but he comforts us as we pray. We can go to God and we can say, God, help me to see what you want me to see as I walk through the season of pain. Lord, when I get through, help me to see the joy, the exceeding joy that's supposed to be there. But we keep these in tension together. Prayer is the powerful weapon in the tool bag of a believer. Because when we go through difficult times, it brings upon questions, it brings upon pain that we can bring to our Father because we allow him to hear our prayers and then we give him space to heal our pain. See, it's like walking through a season, and maybe you've experienced this too, that you have this new technological device and it's not working. What do you do? You call tech support, right? And what the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when you call Jesus or call on God as a tech support, you're not hearing someone that's halfway across the world speaking in broken English that you don't understand. You know the frustration of that, right? Instead, we have the power of prayer where we, we pick up the phone and we're like, God, help me in the midst of this. And he's like, okay, I got you. I love how the book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Like that's not just a phrase that's in scripture. That's a truth that we have and we can rest on and we can walk in. We have access to God. And so how do we walk through seasons of suffering? How do we walk and find joy through prayer? 
Ask anything in his name and it will be given to you. That verse in context is clearly specifically talking about walking through seasons of difficulty. He's not saying pray and ask for a Ferrari and you're going to get it. No, that's out of context. The context directly here is in the areas of suffering and experiencing exceeding joy. We need to pray. And I love how Jesus doesn't just say it, but Jesus models it. If you turn your Bible to chapter 17, just flip over the page and look, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. Jesus makes it to the garden of Gethsemane. And how does he respond knowing what's getting ready to come? Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. He prays that they would make it through because he knows the onslaught that they're about to endure and he prays for them. And then guess what also in that prayer he prays for? He prays for you and he prays for me. And in another place we see in another passage of scripture, Jesus even takes the pain. He goes before his father and he says, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if you could come up with any other way to save people, And to have me go do what I got to do, would you do it? But if not, I willingly surrender. You see, Jesus understood our humanity. Jesus understood the reality that pain hurts. But Jesus also understood the greater thing that was at work. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you just needed to be reminded that you're not alone this morning. If you're walking through a season of sorrow and pain and suffering, sit in it. Allow the Lord to comfort you and use the power of prayer that God would help you get through it. And that when you get through it, you would be able to see what God was doing all the time and that you would experience joy. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know the Lord as your savior. I wanna encourage you that um, you can come to him. The Bible tells us that all we do is call on the name of the Lord and we will be saved. If you're willing today to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your only hope of salvation, you can do that through prayer. Or maybe you're here and you are carrying some burdens. I want you to know that during this closing song, we do have a prayer team that is gonna be available over here that you can just come to them and you can share with them your concerns and know that they'll pray with you. But also this morning, if you need to use the steps here this morning as a as way of just coming before the Lord and humbling yourself, you can do that. But let us not just sit today and be like, oh, that was, that was good words that were said from God's word, but let us respond to it. If you're in the place of joy right now, praise God for it. Like use this as an opportunity to say, thank you, Lord, for the season you've just brought me through. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that I can experience right now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your words of truth. We thank you for your words that bring life. And Father, we thank you for the sobering reminder that there'll be times that we feel deep sorrow as we watch the world rejoice. Father, I'm thankful that because of our faith in you, you give us the ability and the capacity to hold deep joy and deep sorrow and tension at the same time. So Father, wherever we are today as individuals, would you encourage us, would you challenge us, would you help us be more resolved to follow you? And Father, if there is someone here that is walking through deep pain, May you have encouraged them today to remind them that they have your word as a weapon and they have the gift of prayer. So may we walk in this which you've given us. 
for our benefit and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.